0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. I'd like to take a moment and welcome everyone. You know, there's only a few reasons that you ended up here today. One of those is that you love me. You want to support me, and so you came. You drove from out of town. and You showed up here in the service. The second is that you know someone else who's a part of Vortex, and out of your trust, admiration, and love for them, you showed up here for that. And possibly, maybe you found a flyer, saw a movie, and saw an advertisement. Maybe you received a mailer, but for some other reason, you showed up today. And all I could say to any of those is that I'm humbled and I'm thankful that you're here. I'm, thank, I'm really thankful that you've given our church a shot to love and to serve you. So if you would let uh, us kind of dive in today. We made a decision early on that as a church, we wanted to be more about the we and less about the me. That there's a collective power when a group of people choose to abandon themselves to a purpose and a mission and a vision, and we wanted to be that kind of church that put aside our personal agendas and decided to go after Jesus. You see, that's what you find in the Bible. When God moved, somehow there were groups of people who put aside their own personal interests and went all in to follow Jesus, and so we decided that we wanted to be that kind of church But if you're going to make a decision like we want to be more about the we than the me, then you're saying that we want to really heavily invest ourselves in relationships. And so for the first six weeks that we're in existence, we're going to examine some lessons from one of the most tragic and epic figures in all of Scripture. And that's King David because we want to learn what the Bible teaches us about navigating relationships together. Let me give you a truth that I think we all need to allow to sink deep in our spirits, and that's this, that it's impossible to win if you're playing the wrong game. It's impossible to win if you're playing the wrong game, and for many of us, We keep looking up at the scoreboard, thinking about our lives and trying to work harder. But the truth is, is that you can't win if you're playing the wrong game. But look at this scripture with me. It comes out of the eighth chapter in the book of Romans. Paul says, this to the church in Rome, that in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, that you, as you sit in your seat right now, you are more than a winner. But for many of us, we keep striving, trying, straining, and looking up at the scoreboard, and it seems... It seems like the score just isn't in our favor. Now I'd like you, if you would, just to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now while you're turning there, I just want to make a, a proclamation in the room today that when I was a kid, I loved the Dukes of Hazard. I don't know if you grew up watching that show, but I did. I loved it. And I don't know if you remember much about the show, but I've watched it recently, and I do not believe that the show that they have on TV today is the same show that it was when I was a kid because it's thoroughly absurd if you watch it right now. I mean, the General Lee Lee was a self-healing car. They would jump a bridge, land, and tear up the front end, and in the next shot you would see it, and you know what? Perfect. New wax job and everything. Now, I love the fact that the Dukes of Hazard, the guys that were the main characters, always seemed to find a reason to slide across the front of their car. Now, as an adult, I know that there's no reason that any grown man should ever go sliding across the hood of a car of a car but for some reason I was in love with it when I was a child and I slid across everything floors, car car hoods, lawn mowers, you name it and I went sliding across it. My parents purchased a small table for me. It was about two and a half feet tall right in front of a door handle and one day I decided that I would go sliding across it and I went face first into the door handle. And my parents ended up carrying me off to the hospital where I got a bunch of stitches. But you find David in 2 Samuel chapter 19 the way many of us are, exactly the same thing that you see in the Dukes of Hazard. You find him broken. You see, some of us are broken like I was When I went sliding across that table, you made a bad decision and it took you face first into life. And some of us, some of us are like the General Lee. We weren't even driving the car. But someone made a mistake and it affected us and it left us a little broken. And that's where we find David. You see, David's lifelong friend, Jonathan, is dead. His father, Saul, the former king of Israel, is dead. And David, because God had anointed him, the next king has risen to power. But the relationships that he had, the people that he loved, are all dead. So at this point in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David is remembering a promise that he made to his friend Jonathan. And basically the promise was that they would take care of each other. You see, Jonathan was the son of the king, and David was the man that God had anointed to be the next king. And Jonathan recognized that, and so he decided to take care of David in spite of himself. But Jonathan's dead. So, here's David without his best friend to honor. And he calls in a servant who used to work for King Saul. And he says, listen, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to on behalf of my friend, Jonathan? And The servant knows the family and he remembers that there's a son. But his son's a cripple. And I don't know if you know much about the lay of the land and In this time period. But if you were a cripple. It just wasn't good for you. Because the worth of a man was essentially what he could do. And so his name was from Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is in a town called Lodabar. He's way out there. Living with somebody. Begging a life. And David sends for him. And we find him. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, as he appears in verse 6, So when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David, said Mephibosheth, Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land, that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So let's take a moment and go back through that. David made a promise to Jonathan, the son of the former king. Saul, who was Jonathan's father, had spent years trying to kill David because he was jealous and didn't want to relinquish the crown. But now, Jonathan and Saul are both dead. David has risen to power. And he has every out, every single out. His friend's dead. The person he actually made the promise to is dead. He's the king. We're talking about the family of the former king. But David chooses to remain faithful to a promise. And he brings a crippled son of his friend into his home, gives him all the land of his father's and promises that he can eat at his table from that day on. I'd like to introduce you. I want to show you a picture of my my wife and my daughter. There they are. Isn't she cute? I'm talking about my wife, not my daughter. My wife Amanda is over in Vortex Kids today taking care of your kids. Uh, She she is super stoked about what God's doing here, but that's our little girl Adelaide. Adelaide came into the world about about a year ago. And uh, man, if you can't say Adelaide, that's okay. Just call her Addie. Some people, you know, got to shorten it up. It's all right. Um, I love her. I do. My mom watches her a few times a week. This is one of the most beautiful moments in my life. I, I go to pick her up. And my parents have this really long driveway. And so, you know, I mean, you can tell when someone's coming. to. Anybody got a long driveway like that? You know when someone's going to get up to your house because you got a long driveway and you can hear them coming. My parents have that. And then they have a pretty decent walk up to the front steps. And by the time I get to the walk, Adelaide is at the front door pounding on it and yelling, dada, dada. And man, I'll tell you what, my heart woo, just explodes with love for her. But can I tell you something I didn't expect as a father? I knew that when she came into the world, I was going to love her and I was going to love her no matter what she did. I knew that there were going to be times that, that would be tough and probably trying. But here's something that I didn't expect. There will never be a day. Not one single day that she completely lives up to my expectations. There won't be. I just want to put some some flesh on that statement so you can understand what I mean. Every night, the routine is that Amanda will give her a bath and then I typically go in my study and study for a little while and then right when she's getting ready for bed, she comes in to see me. All right? All right. That's the routine. And I get a hug and I get a kiss and I get a little cuddle time. But there's some nights and she just doesn't want anything to do with me. I don't know why. I, I'm, I'm lovable, you know. I give good hugs. And she comes into the room and she just doesn't want me. She wants to go play. And to be honest with you, I ain't saying it's right and wrong. I'm just saying she just doesn't live up to my expectations. But walking up that driveway there's something at play that's bigger than letting me down or my expectations and it's this and it's this truth that can radically transform every relationship that you have. And we see it at work in David's life right here. It's that the only thing that can sustain a relationship is grace. The only thing that can sustain a relationship is grace. The truth is is that if I'm waiting for my daughter to be good enough she won't be because good enough is never good enough But when I'm walking up that driveway and she's pounding on the door and screaming dada dada and my heart is about to explode out of my chest I don't care if she didn't want to hug me last night. I'm excited to see her at that moment. I mean, There are games that we play in relationships that you can't win. And some of us in this room, some of us have been trying to play these games for decades. And we keep looking up at the scoreboard and thinking, what in the world is wrong with this? I'm trying hard. I'm putting my best effort forth. I'm, but, but it feels like I'm always failing. If you're taking notes, here's, here's a game you can't win. You can't win the, the relationship that's all about me game. If you're constantly asking yourself in the midst of a relationship, what am I getting out of this? What am I going to get out of this transaction? How is this going to benefit me? That's a game you can't win. If you're playing... I need to be in the driver's seat, game. That's a game you can't win. I need to be in control of everything in my life. I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm, I'm in charge. I gotta make sure everybody else knows I'm in charge. And I'm gonna manipulate and scheme. And, Do everything I can to stay in charge. You cannot win that game. And here's the most pervasive game that many of us try to play. And it's sad because it's a game that you can't win. And it's a game that nobody can win if you're trying to play with them. And that's the I'm going to be perfect game. Because if you expect yourself to be perfect and you expect other people to be perfect, you will constantly lose. So you can't win if you're playing the wrong game. You can't win if you're playing the wrong game, but you can win if you're playing the right game. And the right game, is what we see in David. Look at what David does with Mephibosheth. Let me ask you, in that transaction, did David get anything? Was it beneficial for him at all? No. He lost. He lost, but he gained his honor. It's integrity. Because he had made a covenant with a friend that he was going to honor even... I mean, every out was on the table. His friend was dead. He didn't even know if he had any family left. Everything that could have gave him an out to the promise that he made his friend was on the table. And he didn't take it. And in that moment, we see one thing that's true about grace. That grace... Will always cost us something. Now, I've had friends who have walked through some really difficult times. And over the last few years, as God has given us some you know, tremendous influence with some people, I've been able to love and encourage some people who have, I mean, just walked through some, some stuff that breaks your heart. A friend of mine, his wife was diagnosed with a chronic illness. And about six months into it, all she can do is pretty much lay in the bed. Now, if he's playing the what's in it for me game, he's going to lose. If he's playing that I got to be in control, he's going to lose because there's nothing he can do about that. And if he expects her to be perfect and continue to live the way that she did, no, it's not going to work that. But grace, as it manifests in that relationship, cost him saying, you know what? I don't get to watch the football game tonight. Because to take care of my family, I have to fold some clothes. And every day when I get home, I don't get to sit down and relax a little bit because I have to cook today. See, grace always costs something. And the truth is, is that that's scary for most of us. Because when grace presents in a relationship, it means that we've got to face the mess that exists there. And all across this room, all of us have broken relationships in our lives. And what we see in King David is what it takes to heal a broken relationship. It takes grace. Now let's take the most important relationship that you have. The most important you relationship you have in your life is not with your husband Not with your wife, it's not with your kids. The most important relationship you have is with Jesus. If you don't have one with Jesus, you still have one because it's defined by you not having one. So the most important relationship that's in your life is with Jesus. And we all, every single one of us in this room, every one of us blew it. We've all messed up the deal. So, what did God do? What did God do? Sitting back, God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled back to him. God paid the price. He paid the cost. And to be honest with you, the only thing that you will ever lose in your relationship with Jesus is your sin. That's it. That's all he's going to take away from you. See, sin. Sin always leads to death. It always leads to death in our relationships. It leads to death in our life. But grace gives a second chance. Grace gives a second chance. So, today, maybe as we've talked, maybe God's reminded you of someone that's in your life that you know, that you love but that relationship right now is broken. And maybe you've been expecting them to be perfect. Maybe you've been expecting an apology. Maybe you've been expecting something, but God's telling you that through the model that we see in David, that relationship can be sustained simply by grace. So what if... What if today we walk out of here and we love some people, we love them without the expectations of perfection? What if we walk out of here and go, you know what, I am willing, that person that hurt me, I am willing to give them grace. I'm willing to forgive them. And you want to know what? They may never even know it. Because that's what grace does. It gives a second chance. Maybe, maybe we could walk out of here today and be people that, in the midst of our relationships, we could be extravagant with grace. Y'all ever seen a Pez machine? Them little candy things. Y'all get them at Easter. I get them every Easter. People think I collect them. I don't know why. Because I get a lot of them and I just keep them in a box. So I have a big box filled with Pez dispensers. But here's the thing about a Pez dispenser. The only way you can get the candy out of a Pez dispenser is to knock it in the head. You ever notice that? You ever know, I mean, you, I mean, you got to I mean, put some hurt on that head and knock it back. And what happened? I don't know if you like Pez candy. I think it kind of tastes like chalk. That's just my personal opinion. But um, when you tilt the head back out, pops the sweet goodness of some Pez candy. So what if we could be giant Pez dispensers of grace? When life kicks you in the face, when someone kicks you in the face, that instead of retaliating, we respond with grace. Instead of getting angry, we respond with grace. What if? And what if today, those of us, many of us in this room, that have a broken relationship with Jesus. What if today we could recognize that it's not about my perfection. It's not about me earning something, but it's simply about The grace that was given to me when Jesus died on a cross, so that I could now have a clean, fresh start to have a relationship with God. As I said earlier, it's the most important relationship in your life. So, what if? Let's pray. Father God, we just want to take a minute and pause. we want to thank You. God, we want to thank You that that Your plan isn't about perfection, but about progress. And that through Your grace and mercy, we can be made right with you and then as that grace and mercy is extended to other people that we could actually live in relationships in a gracious way that we could quit the games of expecting people to be perfect and trying to control the whole world we could just live And navigate this world through grace. So right now, God, for those of us that are in this room today. Those of us that are here. And we would say, in our heart, we would say, you know what, God? I know that my relationship with you is not what it needs to be. I've walked away. I've blown it. but I want to get it right. And I recognize now that getting it right with you really is just accepting your grace, that that's all I have to do. I don't have to walk out of here and be perfect. I just have to accept your grace and let you lead me. So with nobody looking around today, no eyes up, I just want to ask you a question. And I want you to be real honest with yourself because there's nobody looking at you. It's just you and Jesus right now. How many of you in this room right now would say, listen listen real closely to what I'm going to say here. How many of you would say, you know what? My relationship with Jesus is broken. But I want to get it right. And I want to get it right, right now. If that's you. If that's you. I'd like to invite you. To raise your hand. Just as a sign to Jesus. Right now all across this room if you would say that my relationship with Jesus has been broken i see that i see that one you would say today my relationship with Jesus has been broken but i want i want it to be restored right now anybody else anybody else How many of you would say today that as, as we spent the last few minutes talking, I've, I've remembered a friend, perhaps a family member, somebody that I once loved, but they hurt me. And I know that I need to give them grace, but I'm a little bit afraid to, so I need Jesus to help me do that. How many of you would say that? That's you today. Raise your hand. Amen. So I want to pray with you guys. I want to ask that as we sit here that those of you that have asked Jesus to kind of restore the relationship that you had with him because you've walked away. I want to pray for you. and just ask that God does something amazing in your life. God, we just... Thank you. That over the last few minutes, hands have went up saying, "I've I've had a broken relationship with Jesus, but I want to want to get it right right now." So God, in those moments, those hands, those lives, God, would you take a just take a, a, a special moment right now and love on them? And for those of us in the room who have remembered that we have a broken relationship with somebody that we need to forgive and give some grace to God for those people. God, I just ask that you strengthen them. That you give them some encouragement. That you put someone around them to help them. So that, God, that we can go out of this place and we can live in a relationship with you that is simply sustained by your grace. And that we can navigate our relationships with each other the same way. God, help us be some gracious people. So when the world kicks us in the face, just like those ugly little Pez dispensers, the world just gets some sweet love right back to them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. How about a a round of applause for those people who just made a decision to accept Jesus?